0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast this morning, today, is uh, Keegan Nee of Modest Brewing in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to the podcast, Keegan. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were uh, up in your spot last night uh, enjoying some beers here for your fourth anniversary. And, uh, you know, I think I had one of the best hazy pale ales that, uh, that I've had uh, at least this year and maybe in the last couple years. And so uh, uh, thanks for agreeing to uh, talk to me this morning, waking up bright and early on a Saturday morning uh, to talk about brewing in a, in a dark but uh, not too cold uh, brew house here in, uh, in Minnesota. Dude, no, no problem. My pleasure. Let's, uh, let's let's uh, talk about your unique ways of brewing here. Uh, but first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, GND Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years, GND has led the way on innovative solutions that match their brewing customers' immediate and future needs. GND backs every project they touch and provides service second to none. Contact GND Chillers today for your chiller sizing needs at 1-800-555- 0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Also, the founders of SS Brewtech started with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment design, performance, and quality to the very highest standards in the industry. The SS Brewtech team draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain, and manufacturing. SS Brewtech has the people and skill sets you want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment. Head over to com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. All right. Keegan, let's talk about brewing. Yeah, uh, you've got a, 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 an incredibly yeah. interesting approach, um, you know, and, and one that, uh, you know, because you've built this entire brew house around a mash filter. Uh, it's not a typically common site in, in brew houses. Uh, and I've been really fascinated with uh, how you make beer with uh, the kind of incredibly high protein uh, grist pills. So, first before we get into that you know talk to me about uh you know your arc in brewing and uh and how you got to where you are right now uh and then uh what has led you to to you know pursue this style of brewing
1: sure um well let's see it's been about nine years going on 10 um in my professional brewing career um i was very fortunate to learn home brewing and professional brewing at the same time um I just fell into it and helped out a little startup brewery um, in South Minneapolis that is unfortunately no longer around, but it was all German lagers and, um, Belgian, Belgian beers. So like double decoctions, top cropping, everything right off the bat, like I was super green and they gave me a chance and I just gave them everything I had and, um, was with them for two and a half years, became like their lead brewer. Then I uh, decided to move um, out of there and go to help up, start up my close uh, family friends uh, Dangerous Man Brewing Company with Rob and Sarah Miller. Um, uh, I was their head brewer for two and a half, or sorry, three and a half years. Um, Made awesome waves in the community there, really got to get creative. Um, Rob and I and the whole crew there just fit super well and uh, when modest started to become real, um, uh, we just we went for it. Um, we wanted to get the experience. The two other owners, John Donley and Kale Anderson, and um, we all come with awesome backgrounds. But at the same time, we really wanted to get experience and really know what we're doing—not um, just make good beer, but how to run the business, how to fix stuff, how to buy the right equipment, and we just nerd out on all that. So. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's like my super brief background. Um, I could probably talk to you about it for like two hours. So, I'll do the short, short. Version. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure.
0: So, when you uh, when you moved from Dangerous Man, which you know was a more traditional brew system, and uh, we're thinking about how you're going to launch a modest, um, what brought you to this, uh, you know, this uh, much more unique uh, mash filter based, uh, you know, system.
1: Um, I literally had a book uh the master brewers association like bible it's like 1992 like thick beast and um it was gifted to me and i was going through it um just learning everything i could and in under lottery there's mash filter and i'm like what the hell is this i don't know never heard of it and read the whole chapter on it and i'm like why the fuck don't people have these more (laughs) this sounds amazing sure. For and so uh, and
0: super common in like large scale massive macro commercial yeah. kind of
1: brewing right yeah the more I looked into it it's Mira Mira has been making them for over 125 years yeah. and um, they, they they're they all this little you know not little but you know they come from Belgium and they're just all about efficiency and high quality and just innovative innovation um, over 25% of the world's beer when I was learned this uh it was made on a mirror mash filter so it's they're very common but yes right. like I said very large scale um so after more digging they didn't make anything small enough for the craft market so it just kind of sat in the back of my head for years and years and years um and um when modest became more of a reality um, i wanted to take another look into that um so we looked into it. We could buy the mash filter, but we need to find it a, you know, a brew house manufacturer to help us pair it. Right, and right. Because
0: it doesn't exist. You know, it's not great just on its own. It needs to be integrated into a whole system yes. built around it.
1: Yeah. Mira makes a huge array of insanely cool, brew house equipment. It's yeah. Their website's insane, but um, but we stumbled upon Agar. Um, they are they they're a brew house manufacturer. They're in Wisconsin, small, but. They're awesome. Um, they worked with us to basically make a really high efficient, very flexible on the creative end, brew house, and uh, it worked out. And um, a little more, you know, cash up front, but it's it's so worth the the efficiency and the creativity. And we learned all about the the bonuses. You know, we think of it that way as the efficiency and um, being really conscious with our ingredients and our utilities. But at the end of the day, like, it's that creativity we were just all sure. about.
0: Walk me uh, and walk us through this kind of the basic process and how your, uh, your brew uh, process differs from, a say, a, a more traditional brew house.
1: Sure. Um, so we start with grain like anyone else. Um, we put it into a hopper. The hopper carries it into a hammer mill. So that's where our brew house gets very different right away. It goes into a hammer mill, and it's basically like a food processor but on its side and there's a sieve in there just like sifting flour and it literally is pulverizing whole grain into flour Um, it gets uh, sucked into by by a vacuum into um, a grist case and then it augers it that flour into our mash tun and then we're mashing it just like everyone else but now we're mashing with flour and if water to grain ratios are extremely different um, ph efficiency is very different um, dough balls are a real thing, <laughs> but we got really good and yeah. did some tuning, how to do it, how to not to do it. Dough balls can definitely ruin your life or your, your day. Um, then after that, we're mashing like anyone else, um, step infusion mashing. We can do decoction mashing if we want. Um, then we're all, after it's, everything's converted we mash out, um, and push over the mash filter. Now this gets a little complex, I'll do my best, but, um, basically the mash filter compared to a lotterton is like comparing a drip coffee filter to a French press. So a lotterton would be a drip coffee filter, a mash filter, French press. So basically we're pushing in all of our mash, our flour mash into the mash filter. And there's 47, 45 plates, um, vertically in this thing. And the mash is getting filled every plate holds 11 kilograms of of mash and they're all being filled at the same time and they're all kind of like an individual lotter ton like an individual false bottom this is all happening vertically so it's really weird to like wrap your head around it first um so it's filling it's catching all that flour and then all the wort is passing through the very top of it and going into our kettle we judge everything off flow rate and pump speed but you're pumping it all through, and it's just catching all that flour. That'll become our spent grain. After all the grain is, all your mash is in, then we start, we actually compress it. So these little, bi- every plate has their own diaphragm, and they inflate with air, and they gently push out the remaining wort out of the grain. Then after that, the, the diaphragm's release, the air comes out, and now the sparge water comes in the same pathway all the mash did. And then it pushes the air out of the diaphragms, making a cavity so that the sparge water can rinse through the grain. And then we're just watching runoff, just like any other brewer. And then once all our runoff's down, we get down to like two Play-Doh. We cut it, we press it again, press out every drop of, uh, of work we can. And uh, we cut it and we're all, we're all in the kettle. We're mostly diluted at that point. Um, and then um, we do a little drain and then we put grain bins underneath it spread apart the the mash filter um, plates and they just drop down like the size of like stop signs and like two inches thick of grain and you can like pick it up and break it it's really dry (laughs) yeah it's really cool easy to handle doesn't like I don't know it's it's really less mess um um, but then you know we're at kettle fill and you're like basically whole process you're basically getting all your first wort like everything right away like we'll get 300 plus gallons of first wort just like super strong sugar which is really cool. It's really, uh, really nice to do like high gravity beers. If we want to just like keep stacking on yeah. first worts and boil them down and make huge stouts or barley wines or whatever, it's really awesome. Um, from that process, it's pretty much the same. Uh, we're boiling. We're um, we're pushing over the whirlpool, oxygenating, knocking out. Um, but yeah, the the not only with this system, not only is the mash filter extremely efficient with um, its all surface area. Um, uh, it's also all the utilities and how we boil and how everything's insulated and re like, there's so many efficiencies I could talk for days about in this system. It's literally like the biggest like high tech efficiency brew house smashed into a tiny craft yeah, size. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome.
0: And there's a, there are a small number of brewers, craft brewers in America that are using these systems now. And I know we've written about Brewery West, it has a similar system, but uh, you know, you're, you're talking about dozens maybe at this point, uh, you know, not, not a large number. Um, what, are, what are the drawbacks? And then uh, from there, let's talk about what a system like this allows you to do. Sure. Um,
1: I think we were number six or number seven in the yeah. US um, with a mash filter of this size so like alaskan brewing company has a mash filter it's Mm -hmm. giant it's really
0: big it's like three times size of ours but they're a much bigger brewery um efficiency really matters when you're up there in alaska and have to barge (laughs) in all of your uh ingredients yeah barging them in but then
1: also shipping them out there's only so many farms up there or cattle so um but yeah we're uh we're like number six or seven and which is great we were taking a risk on a and a newer chunk of equipment um, that a lot of people don't know how to use sure. in the craft in- industry, um, but those few people we've been talking to, Brewery West guys, um, Tennessee Brew Works, they had the first. Yeah, um, we you know just reach out to them and ask questions, and we help you know R and D stuff for each other, and worked out really well. Um, but uh, but as for what we like, like what we want to do, and what we have done so far with like different grains
0: yeah i'm i'm blown away because i'm you know i mean we're (laughs) i'm drinking a beer right now that's a hazy uh uh, pale ale and there's i mean you're brewing hazy beers with no barley in them yeah with all high protein malts which is kind of nuts i mean it's just something that other brewers can't really do because systems would just you know not support that kind of thing exactly it's
1: um yeah it's it's really it's really fun um uh, we brew with a lot of wheat here yeah a lot of oats um rye um spelt you name it we like and everything works um some grains are still a pain in the ass uh, rye is still a pain in the ass on even on a mash filter yeah we can use a lot more we've gone to 65 percent rye um we do an imperial stout um that's an, uh, imperial rye stout it's like sixty-five, sixty-three 63 or 65 percent rye um it's just so viscous it's not even yeah. like the beta glucans it's not even like the protein as much it's just the sugar is so thick mm. it's crazy it comes out like maple syrup <laughs> like, it's crazy
0: so how do you how do you then start to like you know conceive of of beers using a uh, say 70 percent wheat 30 percent oats uh grist bill
1: I don't know. Um we kinda just like fell into it. We wanted to um really explore the New England style IPA. Um when we start catching wind of it and we wanted to do it our own way and we're like, well fuck it, let's do hundred percent wheat. And so we loaded up with hundred percent wheat and it worked really well and we're like, This is awesome. Like, this is a true wheat beer, like full out. And um then we found out that um you know dan Carey was right the more uh the more wheat protein you have in suspension it'll eventually flock out and so we had to fix that um so we start putting we cut it with about 30 percent oats and um, some biotransformation in there as well helps out uh, but we had a nice stable haze um, for months and months we haven't had it flock out um, but uh, now like now you have this whole another animal like you have it's wheat and oat alcohol and that has its own flavor, and it contributes its own perceptions and experiences. And um, met, you know, hitting that with a ton of hops, and we use um, we use a lot of Denali and Citra um, in the in this beer I'm talking about. It's called Dreamyard. It's our IPA, um, and Denali's newcomer on the on the field, and we we loved it right away. But it's just it all how it all melds together. It's just this really nice beer, and ever since we debuted it we haven't been able to stop making it. So I'm, I'm cool with that.
0: (laughs) That's, that's, uh, that's fun. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, ingredients a little bit more in in a sec, but, uh, uh, on that note, Great beers are made from select ingredients. With BSG, you'll bring the world to your brew house with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients from across the globe to just down the road. Their dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Let BSG be your supplier of choice for products essential to making great artisanal beverages so that you can stay focused on your craft. For more information, visit them at bsgcraftbrewing.com or call 1-800-374-2739. Also, this episode is brought to you by craftbeer.com, whose mission is to tell the stories behind America's small and independent breweries and the cities and businesses that support them. So, you started talking about ingredients. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Sure. Um, Another thing, uh, uh, as we were talking last night, uh, that you grew incredibly passionate about, which I haven't heard brewers as excited about, was your malt. You know, everyone talks about, uh, you know, hops being this kind of driver, you know, in the uh, uh, in the beer process and especially in the hoppy beer process. Um, You know, but for you, uh, you uh, seem very fixated on malt quality and malt origin uh, as you're designing your even your hoppy beers. And that, you know, uh, and tracing some of the impacts of those uh, those different types of malts on those. Talk to me a little bit about uh, about your perspective on that.
1: Sure. Um, Since we see such high efficiency all the time with the mash filter. Um, and that comes from not only the malster, but also how, um, how we add it into the process. Um, and just working with it and getting to know these malts where you're, you, you come to rely on that efficiency and that, that speed of the brew house that you can swap out a oat malt or a, 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 a wheat malt and be like, noticeably different like wow this took a half hour longer and i got 15 percent less extract Hmm. like it's not all about like the gains or you know efficiency but it's flavor first as far as i'm concerned but that that just sucks um so if we can find a better malt uh, higher quality or just even though the quality's all the same it's just how their individual malting process which i don't know you know right but i'd like to learn more and talk to talk to these malsters more but you can just tell that they do more uh, modification to their malts, longer beta-gluten rests, longer protein rests, whatever have you, and it shows up, and those are the malts we keep going back to because their flavor's intense and their efficiency's great. Um, um, but, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of different... Uh, what
0: are those malts for you?
1: Oh, um, we use a lot of BSG white wheat malt. Okay. Um, <laughs> A lot. Um, the malted white wheat. Um, we've tried the flaked. We've done the flaked. It's great. But yeah. You can't beat a malted. I mean, for efficiency and speed, yeah. you can't beat a malted. Um, as far and our experience, with, at least with a mash filter, um, we use a lot of raw white wheat um, right here in Shakopee, Minnesota. What's up? Um, we use a lot of Thomas Fawcett oats. Um, um, we use a lot of Chilean barley. Um, in, in in the beers, we do mix barley in. Uh, we really like using this Chilean extra pale ale um, barley we get from BSG as
0: well. Um, we use it in, that, it in that pale ale. Yeah, what ale. is it about the uh, about that Chilean malt that you love so much? Well, I mean, for how like fancy it
1: sounds, yeah. it's like... A cent or two more a pound which is nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh it's so pale it's ridiculously huh. called the srm lovey bond on it. it's really low light yeah. and that's what we wanted for the pale ale we wanted to be very distinctive in color to our ipa our ipa is more orange we wanted so color but then also it just has this really nice smooth flavor um and it's really efficient uh, i think um the monsters at patagonia they really care what, what they're doing yeah. um and that kind of led to the whole thing. Um, I, I got in as much as I, like a pallet in, and then like I needed to get more and more. So the, you know, the fine folks. Sherry at BSG um, hooked it up, and uh, we have a constant supply of it now. Um, used to be harder to get, but um, more and more local brewers are yeah. discovering it. I'm been chatting proselytizing, them about it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm just hustling <laughs> it. It's it's good stuff. Uh, but then you find out like there. I start playing with the roasted malts. And I don't know what it is they're doing over there, but their roasted malts are fantastic. Mm. You can use so much of them in a yeah. beer, and you get, you don't get any like that weird soy saucy flavor in yeah. big uh, imperial stouts, and it's just so smooth. Um, I don't know what their secrets are, but I'm a big fan. Um, it's really fun to play with new malts constantly because now that we, since we're, our mindset's in the mash field, they're like, we can make any grist combination we want what is all out there. So we're always playing with the new malts um, all the time um, and just just playing around. We we've set ourselves up um, tank space wise and equipment wise and just business model wise. We, we do our three flagships, um, they go out in cans and to draft accounts, but everything else we do is one offs or old favorites and just constant experimentation, whether it's with malt or hops or just anything. Um, So that wide creativity we, we we want all the different malts we can possibly get. Um, it's really fun. We've been um, what's the new one we're stoked about? Uh, we brewed it twice now. It's um, Wireman makes it, Urclea. Uh, it's the that newer Italian grown yeah. Pilsner. Yeah, malt. Um, it's awesome. We've been doing um, uh, uh, fooder Pilsners in. We have two um, uh, oak fooders. Um, and uh, we like doing slow loggers in them. So. We, you know, we've been taking that um, Erclea malt and make it in that Peroni kind of Pivo pills area right, style right. and ferment it on oak the whole time with our house yeast strain, our house lager strain. And then um, just hang out. We ferment it really cold and just a nice slow fermentation. Um, takes about five to six weeks of primary. And then we lager it, transfer it off wood, spund it, carb it. We're gonna do a light dry hop on this one. and they're awesome and the locals have been appreciating they're they're starting to fall in love with oak fermented really? uh pilsners but then it's also cool because they're we like to do with a lot of single malts so this one coming up is just all or clay malt so you almost get last time we did we kind of get like this nice like almond flavor from mm-hmm. it like a slight yeah. almond maltiness and it's really fun like i don't know just getting to know malt is just so important you can ask my my uh my girlfriend um she She's always like, you're always smelling things and nibbling and tasting things. I'm like, that's, I don't know, it makes my palate better. And yeah, I don't yeah. know, I'm like, she's like, it's just super weird. You're just smelling the weirdest things all the time. I'm like, well, <laughs> I got descriptors. I, I know what that's going to taste
0: like. No, I hear you. And I find myself doing that same kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm out of, you know, outside and a, a certain scent comes through the air. And like, i got to file that one away because I, I'm familiar with that same exact scent in beer. Um, and I, you know, you look for the surroundings and figure out what you'd articulate as causing that and how you might describe that later on, you know, it's, it's, you're building that library that, yep. uh, you come back to, you know, to dig into, um, uh, from that perspective, like what, uh, you know, from your experimentation and your, your constantly new beers, um, what interesting things have you found in terms of, uh, you know, flavor impacts of some of these new ingredients, uh, you know, that might be exciting you. There's a lot to talk about.
1: <laughs> um, there's, it's cool. Cause like it brings up the whole, this kind of just reminds me like just because we can make a wort out of a certain malt doesn't right. mean it's going to be awesome. Um, but at the same time or it will be awesome but when it's fermented it's different um but uh, there's so many different crazy fl- like how like how much um like how much wheat malt we've we've used um and then just switching between white wheat and red wheat and it's pretty cool cuz like wheat white wheat is made usually for like cakes and pastries right. and stuff red wheat's more like pretzels and crackers and so there's a slight there's a slight difference in, in, um, color, but the flavor is just bolder and just be able to like really dial that in and really like take note of that. It's, it's pretty cool to, um, to, to use that in a recipe. Um, but I don't know. I, I get to just trust, um, I get to trust, um, what the monsters are going for. Yeah. Um, and then kind of, you know, just see, see if that's true. Um, you know, like, Oh, try this. It's got this nice almond flavor and, um, toast and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's see if we can do that. And majority of the time it comes out. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain. There's so many different, different combinations, but we found with like oats, like we've played with so many different types of oats and, um, that the pale ale you're drinking, uh, the fall, our false p- pattern pale ale, it's our oat pale ale. And It's great, but there's some oat malts we wouldn't use because they're just, like, they're not, A, they're not efficient, but B, um, they're just, they get, like, this funk to them. Okay. And it's, it's good, but the higher amounts of oats we've found is, like, it's great, but if you don't, if you put in a lighter beer, it starts getting, like, this rustic funk, and it's, like, it's great, but not what i want in a new england style ipa yeah and so or maybe
0: not something at that lower abv where it has to balance at a more yeah. delicate kind of level
1: exactly um like if like the richer the beer is like if we put in a triple ipa maybe it tastes right. different but i think that flavor just knowing that malt and what it can do in that percentage awesome for like a saison or like a right. belgian farmhouse or something like that where you can just really play off those flavors
0: okay Let's talk a little bit about hops. I know it's not your favorite subject, well, but it's certainly like hop- one there.
1: <laughs> I mean, I like a lot. of hop- I just wish malt. You make was a cooler. lot of hoppy beers. <laughs> make a lot of hoppy beers. I'm just, I'm trying to make malt cool again. Yeah. Um, it's cool, and we're we're you know people are nerding out about it, but um, hops are reign supreme, and it's sure, gonna be like that for sure. quite a while. Um, but yeah, hops. Uh, we we like here at Modest, we really take huge pride in our ingredients, but also um our um you know are just our morals with we only use real ingredients we're not gonna fake it we're not gonna use artificial flavorings or you know natural flavorings or whatever right if i you know you want to put chocolate in that beer put a bunch of fucking chocolate you know (laughs) put a bunch of cocoa nibs and cocoa powder you know um uh, that's how you're gonna get the best tastes uh best flavors um but uh, when it comes to hops, like we were serious about it and we got, we were fortunate enough to be able to go out to um, Yakima last year for the first time yeah. um, and go to hop selection. And um, I'm a big fan of investing in innovation and seeing what we can do with it. And if it's a new ingredient or even a new process of ingredient, there's, it just like snowballs into so many different options.
0: Talk to me a little bit, uh, you know, you talk about innovation right there, and I, you know we're probably going to end up in that conversation about cryo hops. Uh, I noticed oh, yeah. in your hop bills that uh, you are building layers and layers of hops, sometimes using both you know, T90 pellets and cryo hops of the same hop variety in the same beer in order to do different things at different points. Um Talk to me about how you uh, you know visualize and structure some of those and what you get out of some of these mixes and some of these various ratios of these uh, combinations.
1: Definitely. We do a lot. Since we do a lot of one-off beers, a lot of different hoppy beers, um, the the combinations and process are endless. And um, I like to get the most... Maybe we narrow that down into okay, a couple yeah. of things that you yeah. may have
0: learned more specifically. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um,
1: I really like using... Cryo, We've been doing it lately where you play around with it on the hot side. Okay. And you're just like, really, it's all about getting that oil content into the wort. Okay. And without, you know, losing aromatics or anything. So we do, a it's not even like it's a lot, but it's like, it's just heavy oil content. I'm sure you could get a similar thing with, um, if you just use like, um, hop oil, just straight hop oil. Um, but we've been, we've been doing the, the cryo. Um, in the cold side or in the hot side, and then like nothing, nothing at all in the boil, just bit at the end, like a good chunk at the end of cryo, and then knock it out and ferment on it. And like the next day, it just smells amazing. And a lot of that's gonna be like your aromatic scrubbing out from CO2. But after that goes, dies down, like the hop presence that's in that beer and the bio transformation that's going on, it's just crazy. um We've had, we just did one with Dangerous Man and it was, it tasted like guava and peach juice. And I'm like, not like, oh, it it reminds me of, it, it like tasted like I put fucking juice in there <laughs> and, yeah. and it, was, it was nuts. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is really cool. But like doing that instead of like, oh, putting in a bunch of hops right away, like in day two, you know, fermentation, I don't know. There's something, it's just a different... I don't know. It's, it's crazy. we're still discovering it. We're still playing around you, with it. Uh,
0: you know, how do you kind of balance the, the hops between the whirlpool and the, and the dry hop, you know, ratio wise?
1: Um, we're, we're doing probably a pound to two pounds per barrel playing with that, um, with cryo and T90 in the whirlpool. Yeah. Um, and then we're hitting it in, in the dry hop. Um, we'll hit it like another time with cryo. Um, and then let it hang out. And then towards the end, a couple of Play-Doh away from um, uh, Final Gravity, we'll hit it with the the rest of the dry hop load. And then that'll be more of the T90s and whatever's left over of the cryo. So we basically take our whole dry hop bill and put them in at certain um, degrees, Play-Doh during the the fermentation. And then also the Whirlpool, just to maximize that oil content. You want to get the flavor from the oil but then you want to hit it at the very end to get to bring back that aroma because you're going to get some scrubbing right but another thing like we do is we dry hop under pressure with a a hop um uh, one of the um, i call it the hop nick, but it's like a dry hop cart yeah Uh, it grinds it up puts it in so keep our do extremely low um we got what a shearing pump or yeah it's a shear pump it works really good we get it all in the top it's awesome for safety as well um uh, but at the same time, then as soon as before we even dry hopping, we're um, like we'll get like the the second one in, and then we'll bond it, we'll we'll spund it, so we'll just get as much natural carbonation as possible. I think that's a huge thing with retaining aroma, but also that mouth feel, smaller bubble from the yeast versus a, a carbonation yeah. stone. Um, and then we'll uh, take the spunding valve off, do this the other the last dry hop, put it back on, we'll let it hang out, crashing it, centrifuging it, carb it up run it. Um, we try to get them out. Not like we're not rushing the beers by any means, but when they're ready and they, they pass all the VDK tests, diacetyl tests, all that, um, they're good to go. Um, we want them fresh, fresh, fresh. The aroma is the first thing that's going to leave that beer. So we're doing a lot of different ratios. Um, we like to, we've played around like hundred percent cryo. I've done that before not a huge fan of that it's really? like one note like a single note of like citra and it's just kind of watery which mm-hmm. is weird because there's okay. so much oil in these the hops um something to do with the the vegetal matter uh you need it so right now we're doing about 50 50 and, and playing around there. we're really happy with that because okay. when they tell you about cryo hops it's like oh they're 50 percent potent you know they're, they're 50 they're you know twice as potent right right, right. and i think that's on a Sliding scale for sure, probably anywhere from 35 to maybe 50, maybe even 55. Um, but you never know unless whatever, it's just going to be experienced. So sure. we've been playing with that and major differences. Um, yeah. You'd like to use 100% cryo for efficiency and yield, but sure. it's not going to taste the best.
0: Okay. Are there uh, you know, cryo differences depending on the hop variety that you're using? Um, yeah. You think um, the effects of cryo may be more uh, pronounced? in certain uh, varieties of, uh, more than others yeah
1: definitely um yeah we found uh citra is just a heavy hitter all the time yeah um mosaic is great but it's way better with blending in okay. our experience and it's we find i like using it on the hot in the whirlpool okay more than dry hopping um you those those big deep fruit flavors come out way more and some we, we've like with all of my experience different hops like to get those oils out and what you want all those oils it's not just like oh throw it in the dry hop like yeah, yeah. that works to a certain extent but um, we were doing it with Hool Melon um, that that uh, Steiner hop and it's like big honeydew if you put it we were like dry hopping a beer with it we're like oh that's great but we found like just putting in the hot side with half, half the poundage it got way way more aromatic and even survived yeah. through the whole fermentation of even like the scrubbing of the CO2 yeah and we don't even dry, we didn't even dry hop that beer anymore. So it's like, you got to learn the hop, you know, just like people talk about like galaxy, like it can get really intense and then it's, it's not pleasant and you got to like let it chill out for a while. It's every hop is different, but definitely, um, the different cryos, um, they're doing all new types of things now. Like it's, it's a lot, um, just between the hot side, cold side. Um, but I would definitely, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, mosaic sticks out as something that's I'd rather shove that on the hotter side or earlier yeah. in the process versus at the end. Um, just get better flavors out of it.
0: Makes sense. Um, how do you uh, do? You experience any uh, you know, like post dry hop re-fermentation, hop creep, or uh, does that uh, how's that impact? What you guys do? Um,
1: we have been very fortunate. We have seen v- little to none. I don't think we've ever seen much uh, hop creep at all. We've done. We have like a a good little library here for QAQC, and we've been checking pH and checking gravity, and they haven't moved, um, which is really nice. And I don't know if it's our under pressure um, process or if it's just our yeast and our um, our hop combinations. Um, More certain hops do have a lot more um, concentrated enzymes um, to do the hop creep. Um, But one thing we're thinking about now is. Can you get hop creep from putting massive amounts in in the whirlpool? Especially if you're chilling down your whirlpool temperature. Like where do those and what do those enzymes look like from right. um, at that temperature and it can you get hop creep from the hot side? I don't know yet. Maybe.
0: <laughs> wouldn't well, yeah, I mean wouldn't that be action, you know just aiding fermentation by you know uh initial primary fermentation yeah, at that point
1: it would, it would it would help um but it's also going to factor into yeah. that target final gravity right, you want right, to hit right. so
0: i don't know so in some ways you know, you're you're adding us in a indirect way you're adding uh those uh amylase enzymes uh into your your fermentation process by adding that many hops on your, on your whirlpool side
1: yeah i mean that's something we were, we were just kind of talking about the other day yeah. and uh I think it could be possible if their whirlpool temps are low enough, but I would like—I like to think that if you're up in the 160-plus realm, yeah, it, it's got to be dying off. I don't—I don't know, maybe. Where do, where do you uh, you know tend to whirlpool? We've been doing depends on the recipe. Uh, yeah. Some uh, Dream Yard's harder to chill down um, with our setup than like False Pattern is, um, just from gravity-wise um but yeah we're going anywhere between 160 and 185 right in there um with great results um it's it's hot enough where i feel confident that there's nothing i'm not adding anything uh right. that would spoil uh the wort uh but at the same time it's um cold enough that i don't think we're we're definitely seeing a h- huge aromatic and just like flavor depth develop in these beers and that's what we're really geeking out on
0: the last couple of months yeah that's interesting um let's talk about some other styles of beers that you like uh you know you tend to be on on trend with uh, you know a full range of uh, fruited adjuncted beers especially here if it's your anniversary weekend where you've got a you know full tap lineup yeah. of uh, of some creative stuff what are some other uh, you know projects that you've been working on uh with uh with some different kinds of ingredients that have kind of stretched you out as a brewer
1: um we've been um we just did um We did that fruit beer that was crazy. Um, I've never put that much fruit in a beer before. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, we did about 2,000 pounds of um, puree into uh, like a 20 barrel batch, and like it it was a lot. Um, But at the same time, like it's you know you're making a fruit beer. I mean, it tastes like a smoothie. Yeah, it's good. Um, We want to do something. We always like to do something crazy we haven't done before for our anniversaries.
0: How do you? I mean, managing that much fruit into a tank, uh, you know, has to have its own kind of process considerations. How do you? Oh, yeah. How do you uh, kind of maximize uh, you know, flavor extraction, uh, you know, from a fruit with uh, with that kind of volume in it?
1: Um, high quality. Yeah. Um, High quality uh, fruit. It starts for sure. Um, Aseptic puree. Yep. Aseptic puree. Um, We pump it out um, with a diaphragm pump, which is amazing. Oh my God. That is so cool. (laughs) You just basically big old straw and suck it out of the drum. And it's amazing. We just, we just like kind of went for it right now. We're, we're trying to keep it where we want to, we don't want this like really dry where every all the fruit is, we want the fruit fermented out but right. we don't want to lose that fruit flavor so we're brewing them more on the sweeter side uh, we we've played around with a little bit of lactose in this one because um, you want to you want to you don't you don't want things to explode right. you know we're not canning these we um it's done draft but the goal is to have a shelf stable product always i don't want
0: so you're adjusting yeah. your mash then to leave yeah. more uh, unfermentable yep, sugar more, in there.
1: A little more unfermentable sugar because you wanna. I mean, if you're fermenting all the fruit out, right, right, fruit is that will
0: just for, straight ferment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you, you, if you, um, if you take a fruit and juice it and measure the, the sugar content that's what you're going to need to make it taste like that. Right. Um, unless it's like super concentrated or whatever, but, um, but you want, you want to get in that realm. And, um, to,
0: you do that, you actually measure what the fruit juice, yeah. uh, what the sugar levels are. Of that yeah, fruit Yeah. Um, it's a little
1: harder to- with like purees, but, um, you can, you can filter out a lot of the pectin and the fruit matter and right. just get a couple drips and, and figure it out. Um, and just, you know, that's a good ballpark. Cause like, if you want it to taste like fruit, it's got to have sugar in it because right. fruit is sugar. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, so a little on the sweeter side, um, I mm-hmm. love that
0: idea of measuring the gravity of the actual fruit juice and trying to at least get your finished beer uh, in a similar gravity place so that that level of sweetness is uh, familiar yeah, to somebody drinking
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it. a lot of these really, um, a lot of top-shelf grocery stores do it. Okay. They'll just go and like, they'll get their batch of grapefruit, and then they'll put a little refractometer on there and yeah. check it out and be like, yeah, this is high quality. It's got a higher-quality sugar content. Huh. Like, that's how a lot of people um, buy their fruits, um, just – how good is it and it's one little way for quality control i guess
0: I, no one i know buys their fruit with a refractometer and well. checking the gravity but i'm, I'm not saying you, i do you but. apparently have cooler friends than i do
1: no my uh, my good buddy he used to, uh he used to run a grocery store and that was part but of okay. his duty like huh. okay. this lot came in if it's low i don't shouldn't be paying for that i don't want i want top shelf product i don't know it was interesting i don't know why i remember that <laughs>
0: That's it. Yeah, no, that's curious. Um, any other uh, projects that you've uh, you know delved into uh, in your experimentation that you've uh, learned something interesting from lately? Um,
1: um, I'm really liking... Um, I'm really liking... Uh, we're playing more and more with the pastry stouts, that dessert stout realm, um, but we're always doing our own thing on it. Yeah. Um, ours are like weeded. I mean, okay. technically weeded imperial stouts. They're... I think the last we're working on a really nice base and it's been coming out fantastic and i think it's like 40 plus percent wheat <laughs> um it's just so efficient it but is, it's but yeah. it's so soft and the alcohol alcohol's so like smooth um and you don't have to worry about like foam like we can actually get yeah. foam on our imperial stouts even with all the adjuncts in it um granted we've only done a handful but you use that much wheat you can get this nice foam on there yeah. um But at the same time, um, um, we've been playing around a lot of, a lot of different adjuncts. A lot of it, a lot of the stuff we do is, uh, uh, not only ingredients, but just process. Like we can just, how we like, like, how we use vanilla beans versus the other, the dude down the road, um, just playing around with a lot of different, just maximizing your ingredients and always doing new
0: combinations. Like, um that's a nice broad statement, but what have you learned from specific uh, ways of treating these things? Um,
1: (laughs) I've learned that you really want to, if you're going to be making, you're going to be making beer and say that, Hey, this is, this is what you want. Like, this is a, this is the flavor I'm going for. You better hit it hard and be able to like, just knowing I keep saying, but knowing your ingredients, like, Like we're hand roasting all of our own nuts and everything for our stouts. And that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, So like learning every, yet again, every ingredient, it's, it's huge. Um, Where to like, when to put them in the process, what not to do in the process. Oh, we should have put that in a, in a, in a nylon bag last, next time. Um, Definitely learned um, that the perception of beer, I think this is a cool one. Perception of beer is constantly changing, but then getting, teaching people that the beer does not necessarily have to, um, like come across as like, Oh, you think that's sweet, but it's actually like really not. Like we made this, uh, cream ale that was like tons of like vanilla and lactose in it. And people are like, Oh, this is so good. So refreshing. And, but, but it's so sweet. Well, then you measure it and it's like dry as hell. Like, yeah, and uh, like, I don't know, just real. I just really get stuck, like, hung up on like tons of different like process and ingredient things. And well, like, I mean, that makes sense that the, the
0: psychology of, of taste uh, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily, you know, ride one to one with, uh, you know, what you can measure out mm-hmm. of it. That, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about you know, all the ingredients that we taste. Um, have their own memories for us. And so, you know, if you taste something like vanilla, you're almost always tasting it with sweetness Mm -hmm. attached to it. And your brain can fill in the difference there. You know, it it assumes things are going to be a little sweeter than they are just because it has that association with it. And so, you know, how does that kind of, that psychology impact the way that you then design some of these beers in order, you know, you don't have to make it as sweet because it'll just be perceived Mm -hmm. that sweet.
1: Yeah, um, that we... It's, it's knowing that ingredient like if you chew on yeah. a vanilla bean it's bitter yeah but you perceive it's perceived sweet so like we right. just loaded it with a ton of vanilla beans and a little bit of milk sugar and milk sugar is not even that sweet it's more right. of a texture thing like eat a spoonful of it it's terrible <laughs> i mean it it doesn't taste like much <laughs> right, and right. i've done it <laughs> um gross yeah it's uh, um but yeah it, it, like that is huge like yeah just getting those flavors of the crop and messing with people's minds of what beer can be um and that is just like a little example of how we've done it. Um, but you know, it's also are people open to it. Yeah. You know,
0: on the complete opposite side of that, uh, you mentioned earlier that you love, uh, you've loved this delving into fooder based, uh, loggers. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, your initial forays into that and what you've uh, learned through the process of pulling fooders up and getting them, uh, you know, to a process where they're ready for loggers and then making good loggers.
1: Um, a lot of it's um, keeping it clean, yeah, big time, um, and just trust, just trusting the the vessel, like big time, is like le- learning it. Um, yeah. we, we like washed them out first. It's just like a nice warm water, and then tasting the water that came out of it, and it's oh. extremely woody. Okay. but it was crazy that because they're fresh, they're not yeah. they weren't used before, and they're not charred on the inside. They just toasted it or um, kilned. Yeah, um, and pulling the water out it was so like woody like you would expect but it was nuts how much the wood character that oak gives to spirits yeah i was like this you could tell me like this was, like was whiskey in this glass uh. like it was so crazy um but learning that and like just how, from water and it just yeah. it tasted
0: like the wood itself made it taste like yeah
1: it was like holy shit like this is like 50 huh. percent of what whiskey tastes
0: right, like right right
1: and it, it was really cool um so like learning that, getting, um, getting those prepped cause they were so woody when they're fresh and you don't want to overdo it. And I don't want right. to sit here. Uh, I, I didn't want at the time didn't want to sit there and just like blend it with a bunch of beers to right. make it calm it down. So we like washed them out, hung out, um, put stored solution in them a little bit. Um, we mix that up so that there's no microbial growth. Yeah. Um, then we drain that out when they're ready and we're going to fill it, um, we just use um, this product by Berko, and um, it's this awesome wood cleaner. Huh. And it creates, um, it's like high powdered hydrogen peroxide, and I forget the other one. It's like potassium something. But basically when they combine, it makes this food-safe cleaner, foamy cleaner, and oxygen bleach. So it's kind of like OxyClean, but doesn't have all those surfactants and different yeah. um um, different like uh, silicates in it so that it doesn't get stuck in your wood right um, cleans it extremely well um, and and sanitizing at the same time um, we do that do a little hot water rinse and then purge it out with co2 and then we're not going to be right into it and pitching like normal um, but we like to with the with the pills, we like to do like a slow pillsner. So we're actually fermenting the, the yeast, the lager yeast, a lot colder than uh, it recommends. Really, like uh, 44 degrees, 46 degrees, right in there. And it's scary at first because we're like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna take off. Oh yeah. shit! Yeah. Um, but that beer was called Just You Wait, and um, it was just bloop, bloop, bloop for six weeks, and it came out super clean, super crisp. We had purge off the yeast every other week just like get any yeah. we didn't that we didn't no want. Analysis. Yeah. Um keeping it really clean and then um our fooders actually have uh glycol um plates in them. Right. So chill them down um got it, we just do a nice slow lager like drop 5 degrees Fahrenheit like every week until you get down to like uh 40 and then after 40 it's not going to lager too much the yeast is going to be really right cold at that point. Um, but we can bring it down. We got it down to like 35 and then transfer it over um, into the stainless um, to get it fully off the yeast and then let it, any remaining yeast, let that naturally flock out for another week, carve it up um, um, and then uh, package it. And they're just, just badass. Um, and that wood character is so nice. We, the recipe design, we actually lay off the hops a little bit because yeah. you get a good dryness and tannic like a nice pleasant tannic on the very end of the beer and so we don't need to nu- use as many hops um and uh that it, it's just all that balance of um it's really cool it's like it's like boom pilsner lager in your face uh, on your palate and then it just dries out it's like this nice finish this nice little woody character and then you get your like hops in there as well um and just makes you want to keep drinking it but it's not like ridiculously dry. It's that perception of being dry, right. again. it's, I don't know, it's really fun. I don't know. We really like to um, blend old school tradition with modern, crazy innovation. Sure. Um, and this is one of the ones we did it. Like I just was like, let's buy fooders. They're they're sexy, <laughs> and um, I don't think they're I can. They're cheaper move. than stainless. They're a little bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it's fun. I don't know. And the Same yeah. reason why we do cask beers. Um, right. And it's just, it, it's just fun to to marry old school tradition and innovation. I just love it.
0: Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense. So, uh, what's on the, what's on the horizon? What's next for Modest? Uh, what's getting you excited and, uh, where are you, uh, enthusiastic about pursuing right now?
1: Um, I'm excited for this crazy two weeks of getting ready for our anniversary to be over. Um, <laughs> we, we've all been, um, getting our ass kicked, but it, it's all good. Um, yeah. um, nothing but good stuff. Um, really excited to have more time, um, and cause I have enough, um, staff and just resources right. now to start doing more collabs, start getting our name out there more and start sharing all this knowledge and with, uh, like-minded brewers, um, just keep going on, um, more of the on-trend beers, just, just fun The like, yeah, they're, they're fun and great at the end of the day, but right. the techniques and processes where it gets me. It's like, it's so interesting. It's totally different yeah. how I learned, um, making beer. Um, but then also, um, starting up our, um, our mixed culture, uh, program, uh, we've got, we recently got, um, a good chunk of wine barrels, so we're okay. going to ferment in our fooders, um, and then rack, uh, rack it off into our, um, our, uh, wine barrels and then inoculate in there, re-ferment okay. in there and let them hang out, um, and just kind of go from there. Um, I'm really excited to play around with that. I know my other brewers are as well, um really excited to um keep um just just keep playing around with more wacky stuff we have a lot of weird recipes of grain combinations that we really want to do we've been really into honey lately agave and rice and start making sours out of crazy grain combinations whether they be a mixed culture or a kettle sour um i think it's really fun to do that um and just hopefully, uh, we'll run those to the tap room, and hopefully, people are brave enough to try something new and learn a little bit at the same time.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Uh, we'll talk more in just one second, but uh, before we uh, we get out of here, I want to say a uh, big thanks to the sponsors that made this episode possible. G and Chillers leads the way on custom, innovative solutions. SS Brewtech is advancing brewing equipment design, performance, and quality. Let BSG supply you with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients. And craftbeer.com's mission is to tell the stories behind America's small and independent breweries. Um, how, if people want to learn more about Modest, uh, where do they find you guys, Keegan? Uh,
1: definitely hit us up on modestbrewing.com, um, uh, Modest Brewing on Instagram. Um, that's where all the cool kids are at, I guess. Um, come by the tap room. We're right down, um, down uh, downtown Minneapolis, right by the Twins Stadium um tap room's always flowing man um you see me in the back you yeah,
0: know say hi <laughs> nice nice well uh, thanks for talking with me if you uh, enjoyed the podcast i hope you uh, subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on and if you uh, enjoy the content that we bring you from craft beer and brewing uh go to beer and brewing.com click on the subscribe button and uh, become a subscriber to craft beer and brewing magazine i uh, will be back next week with another episode but uh keegan thanks for joining me
1: thank you very much for having me yeah,
0: cheers